Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. An international meeting of politicians and they're actually meeting in person. That is the case today, and it's the first in-person meeting of foreign ministers of G7 countries since the pandemic started, and they're getting together in London. There is a long list of topics for them to cover, everything from pandemic recovery to climate change to dealing with China and Russia. We had a chance to catch up earlier with Crystal Gumansing, who is our Global News European Bureau Chief, and here's what she told us. Crystal, thanks for joining us this morning. What is happening with this meeting? Who is going to be there? Well, really, everyone who's a part of the G7 will be here. So we know that uh, Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister, Mark Garneau, is already in London. There's also going to be leaders from France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the U.S., and, of course, the G- uh, U.K., which those are the G7 nations. But there are also additional people who have been invited. Um, the uh, Affairs Minister, the External Affairs Minister from India, Australia, South Korea, uh, South Africa, and uh, a representative from the Association of Southeast Asian nations as well. So this is a large group. Now, these people have not met in person for about two years. And so they have a number of issues to talk about. But if you look at that list of G7 nations, most of these countries are under COVID-19 restrictions. You know, the UK is starting to open up, but we're still under restrictions here in London as well. So there is a lot of talk about why is this an in-person meeting. Um, and it could be thought of as a, a precursor event, a test event to see if the big G7 leaders summit can go ahead this June in Cornwall. Okay. And do we know why are all those other countries invited? What's going to be on the agenda here? Well, the agenda is pretty packed, and this meeting is only a couple of days. Everyone is here as of now, and there'll be some bilateral meetings and then a dinner tonight. Things will really start getting going tomorrow. But we're looking at, for example, the situation in Myanmar. Um, You know, how uh, are are other countries dealing with that? Is there anything else that can be done? Just yesterday, we saw... Um, more protests and and, and more demonstrators being killed. Of course, that coup that took place in February. They're also going to be talking about Russia and misinformation. Of course, we know that a number of um, security forces in the U.S. and the U.K. blame Russia as well as China for um, distributing propaganda and misinformation during election campaigns. They're also going to be talking about COVID-19, the pandemic, uh, vaccine equity, and of course, the recovery efforts that will be needed through all of the G7 nations right around the world. So there is a lot to talk about, but of course, this is in the middle of the pandemic, so there will be 
obviously a, a, a bit of a display, can we call it, as to, you know, the precautions being taken. We'll see them sort of separated. We're also being told there'll be multiple layers of testing of individuals um, and, and that there will be at different times screens between these ministers as well. Okay. And so what is the UK situation like with COVID right now, Crystal? What are the restrictions like? What is happening? Well, at this point, we are seeing some reopening. Um, you know, daily infection rates are sitting at about 1,500, which is incredibly low for, for the UK from what we saw, you know, several months ago. We're also, um, the, the vaccine efforts have been going very well. You know, the numbers are, are incredibly high for vaccine uptake. So it, it is better, but we're still under restrictions. For example, you're not supposed to gather with more than six people outdoors. Uh, you know, shops are reopened, but, you know, not, you know, malls or, or music museums and that sort of thing. We'll see more reopening mid-month, but there are still restrictions in place. And of course, travel is is not permitted right now, right? Uh, non-essential mm-hmm. travel. So a lot of people looking at this meeting saying, is it needed and can it be done safely? All right, Crystal, thank you very much. You're welcome. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, I wouldn't say we're a jungle here on Morning Sesame. I'd say perhaps at times we are a little bit boisterous, but we want to introduce you to our newest team member this morning, and we're so happy to have her with us. Meet Raji Sohal. Good morning, Raji. Good morning, Simi. How are you today? I'm great. It's really lovely to to talk to you live and not just to a life-size poster I have of you in front of my computer here. <laughs> Well, now I'm scared about what that means. All right. I have some questions so that people can get to know you. Okay. Are you a tea or coffee person? Ooh, well, right now it's matcha, but normally I'm a coffee person. Oh, so you're like a green tea person. Mm-hmm. Are it's you- all about the ritual. You've got you've to measure it and sift it and stir it at the right amount of, and the temperature and everything. I like the whole ritual. Oh, interesting. Okay, so are you okay with getting up this early in the morning? Because we're going to be hearing a lot from you early in the morning. <laughs> I love it, to be what? honest. I've got little kids, so I'm kind of all over it. Okay, so all right. Good to know. How many kids? Two. Two. How old are they? I've got one that's two and a half and four and a half, although the four and a half is pretty sure she's turning 16, trying to slow that all down. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the way it goes? Yeah, she's in that phase where I, well, I hope it's a phase where um, she knows exactly what she wants and it's not what's on offer. Right. And also there's no compromising on that if they know exactly what they want, right? And everything's up for negotiation. Okay, so then how do you deal with that? Because this is good. This leads into our contest we're going to be talking about too. But how do you deal with a four-year-old? And this seems to me like a very long time ago for me because my kids are grown. But what do you do? I've come up with actually a bunch of hacks. And what I've noticed is that they don't all last forever. Like they just last for a certain amount of time. Maybe it's six months or or four months even, but I will go for it if I figure out one that's working. And a big one for us lately has been... Um, that we shouldn't get the kids to race against each other to do things, but rather do team kids versus team parents. So I'll be like, oh, time to get into the car. Who's going to get to the car faster? Is it going to be team kids or team parents? Ah. And team parents has never won, which the kids love. (laughs) (laughs) That's handy. That's a good one. Um, I have to ask you, have, has any of your children ever had like a meltdown in public? And what did you do when that happened? They've never actually had a meltdown in public. What? 
but they have had many meltdowns and they're at home. And my favorite thing is um, the I don't know what I'm going to do game is what I call it. So I do this when my kids put up resistance to anything and that's everything. Um, (laughs) And so it'll be something like, oh, putting on their coat and shoes to leave the house. And I say, okay, guys, I'm going to walk away and count to 10. But if I come back and someone's gotten ready on their own, when I open my eyes, I do not know how surprised I will be. And then I go absolute bananas (laughs) when I turn, like I will do the craziest dances and I will make the silliest faces for them and it just diffuses everything and it keeps working time and time again. I want you to be touching wood for that. My mom, that sounds like fun. I do remember that like my one child I had was kind of prone to sometimes acting out and she had a meltdown one time in a London drugs and she was probably like two and a half, maybe three years old. And I was also pregnant at the time. And I just remember she just, it was one of those days where she hadn't had a nap, right? And just total, complete screaming meltdown. And I had like a a cart, like a buggy full of stuff that I needed to get. And you're pregnant. And I'm pregnant. And I just just remember putting the cart, because it was like a hand, but like one of those ones you hold in your hand, just putting it down on the ground, picking her up under my arm, and just walking out of the store because I was like, oh, yeah. I can't, I can't cope with this. So I just went home and told my husband, you now have to go to the store and get what we need because I just could not cope. Not going to let her have the meltdown, not going to inconvenience other people, just walked out and went home. And I was like, that's the best I can do at this point. Oh, for sure. I feel like meltdown at Lennon Drugs is kind of a rite of passage for any age. Like at some point, someone's got to have, everyone's got to have their meltdown at Lennon Drugs. I know so I true. have. So <laughs> true. Good to know. Okay. Uh, other questions that I have for you. Um, what is your favorite type of food to eat? Favorite type of cuisine? Mm, it's got to be Indian, Punjabi in particular. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah, that's what my mom makes. And that's what I, I can't say I make it like her, but I'm trying. And I feel like if I can master that in my lifetime at some point, I will be very pleased with myself. I it's a trying. lifetime of work. I keep trying too. And it is so hard. It is, that is like to me, the one type of cuisine, even though like I am Indian, that is so hard to master because of oh, how yeah. complex it all is with all the spices. And I've cooked for my husband, obviously, like many, many times. And um, he's, like very polite about letting me know that it doesn't taste like my mom's cooking. Like, that's not helpful. Oh, you better be really polite. Yeah, you have to be really polite. Uh, okay, what do you have a phobia? Like I like to tease Gordon McDonald, our news guy, about this, about phobias. What is it? Spiders, heights? Come on, what's your flaw? Do you know what drives me crazy and I actually have a fear of it happening? It happens too often. It's my kids playing Disney music. and they've I'm recently- sorry, what? Yeah, I can't stand Disney music. Like any? any of it, any of it. Like I literally in the morning when I wake up, I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope they're not going to walk over and, and start talking to Siri. My two and a half years, like she thought it, she thought Siri was seaweed. And so she'd be walking around the house going, just toddling about going seaweed, play, play Lion King. And <laughs> so you can't handle, so what, you're going to pre-program? You oh, can't handle. Nothing. You don't want to hear it at all. At all. I know. I don't want to. I don't want to be that mom, but I fully am. So I'm like, hey kids, what about Duran Duran? What about like I'll take anything else, anything Uh, else. Oh, see, Roger. The problem is here. You showed us a sign of weakness now. So we had 
we can't oh, no. really let that go, right? We can't <laughs> let that go at all. Uh, I loved your hack that you had there for dealing with the kids. Uh, we are, of course, running a contest this week, our you know mom hacks for Mother's Day. And we need people to call into our buzz line, which is 604-331-2899 with your mom hack. We actually have one already. So let's have a listen to this. Hi, this is for Simi's mom hack, and I want to tell you about what my mom told me about cooking rice. So my mom taught me how to measure the right amount of water to cook rice perfectly. After you wash the rice, you level the grains of rice in the pot and gently place your hand on top of it. Fill the pot with water till it covers the middle knuckle of your middle finger. It doesn't matter the size of a person's knuckle or the amount of rice, but it always works. I taught my son this a while back, and he thought Grandma and I were crazy, but it works for him all the time now. Thanks a lot. Okay, I'm fascinated by that. Now I feel like I have to try that. Roger, can you make some rice today and let us know if that works? I'll give it a go. <laughs> That's Actually, a good I'm really one. Curious. Me too. I was like looking at my hand. I'm like, so you have to put your hand on top of the rice and then pour the water in until it reaches the middle. What did she say? Middle finger, middle knuckle. I'm intrigued. I can see us getting this very wrong. Well, that's a guarantee, right? Guaranteed. <laughs> so we want to hear your hacks, your mom hacks, uh, and how you deal with those kids and what you do. Or maybe it's a kitchen one like that lady just had there. We want to hear it. Call our buzz line, 604-331-2899. And before we let Raji go, because we're going to talk to her a little bit later on the show, uh, Raji, one more question. Do you believe in UFOs? That's for our producer, Greg Schott, because he's a big UFO guy. Oh, I did not know that, Greg. I'm so excited to hear that. Um, I am. I don't believe in UFOs, but I recently saw that Russell Brand rant about how UFOs are real and the government is trying to conceal it. And I and I thought, oh man, are we all going there culturally again? I thought we were done that. So no, we're I, not. I'm, no, I'm I'm a little bit intrigued. A little well, bit. Greg's gonna have to send you some videos then. All right. Okay, Raji. <laughs> thanks. We'll check up. We'll catch up to you a little bit later. This is Mornings with Simi. Are we bending the curve here in British Columbia? It's been, what, six weeks now of increased restrictions, even though it did start out as a three-week circuit breaker. But is it all working? Well, a group of modeling experts says it is. The group of researchers from the University of British Columbia, Simon Fraser University, and the Pacific Institute for the Mathematical Sciences says projections actually show a 30 to 40% decline in transmission rates since March. Well, to talk more about that and what exactly is working, we're joined now by Sarah Otto, professor and mathematical biologist at UBC. Thanks for being back with us this morning. Absolutely, Sammy. So what did you think? That are, is this working? Are we bending that curve? Yes, and we needed to. We, uh, the number of variants of concern were skyrocketing in this province. over the. It was doubling every eight days, roughly, between February and March. And then as those numbers got larger and larger and larger and larger, we were just starting to see a skyrocketing number of cases. And that's what we needed to bend down, and it looks like we have. Okay, by how much? So what? where do you see the progress? Right. So... Um, we needed. We projected we needed about a thirty percent reduction in in transmission rate in order to hold steady, and I think that's what we've got. Um, and I should say that there's kind of two things, two diseases we're dealing with right now. The old variants are almost now 
out of the system, that restrictions have really um, caused those cases to plummet. And that's why we're seeing the real decline um, from over a thousand to more like seven, eight hundred in the last few days. But the the new variants, the one, the B117 from UK and P1 from Brazil, that's really our challenge right now. And those numbers haven't plummeted as much, but they look like they're holding steady. So clearly, then it sounds like we still have work to do. Oh yeah, we can't. Um, we cannot relax. This this is uh, the second we relax until the vaccination campaign is more um, robust and more of us are vaccinated. We can't relax. So what more do we need to do then to get? Do you think the variants under control? Well, so I think they will start bending down of their own accord as because the um, vaccines are rolling out really quickly right now. Um, with one million Pfizer doses coming, that's going to really help. But we should remember that's not going to help us immediately because, first of all, we're still only at around 30 percent vaccinated and that's not enough. But then second, of course, it takes about a couple of weeks uh, between when we get vaccinated and when we're um, when we start to see the immune coverage protection. So, Dr. Otto, then what is it in particular, do you think, has done this, that has started to bend? Is it everything all together, do you think, or are there certain things that we have done in the last six weeks that have really made the difference? You know, I, I think it's probably a combination of mainly two things, the restaurant closures, um, the, the indoor dining closures. Uh, we don't know with these new variants. We know they transmit more, but we don't know what exactly that means. But I think indoor risks are just that much higher. So that's probably a big one. Um, and then... Um, the vaccinations have been, while it's mainly age-based, the province has been doing these hotspot vaccination campaigns. So where there's a lot of cases, they go in and they vaccinate in this kind of um, these pop-up vaccination campaigns that get a lot of people vaccinated at once. And that's really important because that provides this halo of vaccination, halo of protection around those cases and keeps them from spreading even further. So I think those are the two main ones, but I'd have to say our collective efforts, I think everybody else, everybody across the province is like, oh, the hospitals are full. Let's let's help them out. Right, but there still seems to be some sticking points, right, where health authorities seem to have it under control, but in places like Fraser Health, we still see yeah. those rates stubbornly high. What is going on there? Yeah. Well, you know, I think they're stubbornly high where people have to go out um, – and work that, you know, that uh, they don't have the privilege to be able to stay home um, and uh, isolate and ride this storm out. So I, I, I think that's a lot of it. Um, we're, I, um, we need more data on the inequalities that are happening um, across our province, which sectors are most Im- impacted, which types of professions. And so anyway, that's what I think is largely happening in a Fraser. We have a workforce that, um, is not, you know, office workers that can work from home, but people that are are out and working in environments that put them in contact with others. So that would show that in one particular, look, we're not going to get it under control there if we can't tackle kind of those unique issues in Fraser Health. Exactly. And that's where a lot of these hotspot campaigns are happening and going into um, factories and workforces where they know they have transmission and really trying to help protect those people. So can we vaccinate our way out of this then, Dr. Otto? When you look at that, is that what's going to help us, you know, six months from That's now? Right. Yeah, that, what we're going to see is I think we'll probably have to ride this out with restrictions until the vac- until more, most of us are vaccinated and then we'll be able to open up a bit more. But I don't 
predict that we'll um, see no restrictions for a while or no layers of protection, but we might be shifting to kind of the layers of protection that are milder, wearing our masks indoors, um, these, this contact tracing, which has been a really key component of BC's effort. I think that we're going to see that over at plus vaccination get us over this. Right. What's working elsewhere there? When you look at other jurisdictions, places like Australia, where even Mm. in Perth, they had a couple of cases, right? And then they got really worried. What works elsewhere? How do they keep it under control? Yeah. So places that have gone for kind of a COVID zero strategy um, basically say we're we any cases are going to be a cause for concern and we're going to go all out contact trace around them and, and nip it in the bud. And that is a strategy that has worked really well. It's worked in the eastern provinces as well. Um, It's challenging when there are lots of routes to um, transport. Um, So it wouldn't have worked in BC without really, really restricting um, travel more. But I think we've learned that lesson. um, And we've learned. So now we're doing things like quarantining um, in official government places um, for travelers, if we we could have done that all along, and we could have included the land borders and gone for a COVID zero strategy, it's harder to do when you have lots of people coming in. A colleague recently estimated that in Canada, 400 independent um, sparks leading to community um, spread of COVID have happened in Canada over the last year. That's a lot to control. Yeah, that is a lot to control. So can can we look to some kind of normalcy, do you think, after the May long weekend? The Premier keeps using that May long weekend as an example, right? Is that, do you think, a time when we can think about releasing or relaxing some of these restrictions? Well, uh, according to our models, we're going to continue to see high um, high numbers of hospital and ICU demand over the next month. And so I think that might be a little bit early. I think that might be a little bit early. That said, they're ramping up the vaccination campaign um, faster. So what we're estimating in mid-June as a, as, an, as a time where things might be able to be um, relaxed a bit, if they vaccinate faster, we might get there. What do your models tell us then about those hospitalization rates? So are you saying they're still going to yeah, stay high? They're still going to be, yeah. Unfortunately, because the the new variants are the ones that are remaining at high numbers, and those are more severe. They lead to hospitalization rates one and a half, two times as much as the old variants. And so that's why the demand's going to stay high. And is that the case, do you think, right across the country, that because if, it's, if your cases are being driven by variants... You're going to have more people in the hospital. You are going to have more people in the hospital and younger people in the hospital, too, because the older people are now predominantly vaccinated. This is more severe. It is more severe for everybody, including people in their 20s. So what can we take away from the positive here? What, what's positive for us? Yeah, I, I think it, I think BC has bent down the curve when we needed to over and over and over again. And, um, now, we could keep it down lower if we restricted faster sooner, um, but we have kept it from going spiraling out of control. And we were really close this time, as the hospitals and ICU staff can say. And we've seen in Alberta and, and Ontario that they they didn't quite bend it far enough, fast enough. So I do think BC should be proud of itself. Um, with our collective efforts have been really um, important across this whole year. And um, we got to keep at it for a while. All right, we will. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Absolutely. Thank you. 
This is Mornings with Simi. Another weekend, another shooting in the Lower Mainland. This time, a man gunned down in a Delta parking lot on Saturday. Police have now confirmed that he was a provincial corrections officer. They say 29-year-old Bikram Deeprandawa was shot dead just before 5 outside a busy shopping centre near 72nd and Scott Road. He wasn't known to police. Investigators are still working to determine a motive. For the latest on this case and other recent cases, we're joined now by Kim Boland, crime reporter for the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Simi. Can I first off say congratulations to you. You're getting the Lifetime Achievement Award from World Press Freedom Canada. So congratulations. That's quite the honour. Yes, thank you very much. It's going to be a big deal for all the work that you do on stories like this, I would imagine, too. Uh, let's talk about this one. What do we know right now about this case? Well, it's it's very uh, puzzling for police. Obviously, this young man uh, was very well-liked with his colleagues. He had you know, no uh, indication there was anything untoward about his professional life. Uh, he did work in Fraser Regional uh, Correctional Center in Maple Ridge. There's a lot of uh, gangsters housed there, some uh, serving sentences, some in pre-trial. Uh, and, you know, we have reported previously that there has been, you know, violent altercations in the prison system. So they're obviously looking at whether, you know, that is a motive uh, in this case. It would be absolutely unprecedented, you know, if we have a law enforcement officer, if you will, uh, who has been gunned down because of their career or profession. However, at this point in time, Delta Police is also saying that they're looking at the possibility this was a case of mistaken identity. I think we've probably all seen the video of that chaotic scene in the parking lot. Uh, there was a gunman, all dressed in black, running around uh, with his firearm clearly visible. Uh, you know, the guy was driving a silver car. There are a lot of silver cars in parking lots. So it would be, uh, you know, again, just really shocking Uh, if he wasn't even the intended target of this murder. That would make two really, I would say, high-profile, kind of messy public shootings in the last couple of weeks. I'm thinking about what happened outside of Cardero's there in Cole Harbor, too. Does something, does this seem unusual to you in in your coverage? Well, we certainly had, you know, people killed outside malls before. We've had them killed as they leave restaurants. Unfortunately, these guys who are willing to go and hunt people down, probably for a paid contract, are willing to do it anywhere. We know from previous court cases that sometimes they're actually putting trackers on enemies' vehicles so they can follow their movements. Um, You know, that would at least probably ensure that it wasn't a case of mistaken identity. We don't know if that's happened in this case at all. Sometimes they're using tipsters, people that are playing both sides, uh, who say, yeah, this person's leaving a restaurant now. Uh, Again, we've seen this in previous court cases where evidence comes out about targeted hits like this. So unfortunately, these guys are willing to sort of kill people at any location. Um, And it wasn't just Cardero's. We had, you know, Todd Gowenberg uh, shot to death nine in the morning at the Langley Sports Complex where there was a daycare. People are arriving with their little children for daycare as a guy's being shot to death. Um, You know, we had um, Bailey McKinney shot in a park around dinnertime on a gorgeous sunny day in Coquitlam. So, you know, this is happening all over the place. I don't think anyone in the Lower Mainland would say, 
gee, I was really shocked because there was a shooting near where I was today because unfortunately it happens across the region and unfortunately it happens in any location, public or not. Yeah, that is sad but true. Is there a reason for this heightened activity right now? Is there, is there something going on? Is there a, a wrestle for control of a particular group? Like what's happening? Well, I think, you know, there are a number of factors. Things are very volatile in the drug trade, and part of that uh, is due to the pandemic and, you know, getting supply and controlling regions. is It's very important for these guys. That's their bread and butter. You know, so sometimes you're seeing uh, people targeted because of a conflict, you know, specifically related to the drug trade, which is the business of gangs and organized crimes in this province. Uh, sometimes it's a bit more personal than that. Like we know there's been a very high-profile conflict over the last four years between uh, the Brothers Keepers gang, which is one of the newer ones in the region, and rivals that they have in both the United Nations gang and uh, in what we call the Kang Red Scorpion group, right? So it could be related to, you know, this conflict between one side and other rivals, uh, so there's a number of factors usually. Sometimes it's just a personal dispute too, right? You know, someone doesn't like someone for a specific reason. Maybe they were at one point allies. You see that a lot too where, you know, people uh, who are sort of charged or targeting other people were once part of the same group. And, you know, there's no loyalty in this life. People turn on people like on a dime. No kidding. Is there any concern at all about kind of police coming after them or do they just continue to operate with impunity? Do they not worry about the police? I don't think they worry about the police, honestly. I think they're more concerned with who's after me. And, you know, we've seen some powerful interviews with um, ex-organized criminals or there was one a few years ago done by Odd Squad of a gang-involved guy talking about how he's always looking over his shoulder, wondering when they were coming for him. And that that interview was released after he was gunned down at a mall, which was one of the places he predicted he might die. So they, how is it possible for police to make any inroads, or are they at this point? Like, what do you see? Well, they are, but these are, you know, cases that often take a great deal of time and resources uh, to get to the point where charges are approved, right? I mean, in a case like this... There's video of the shooter, the vehicle. We know the vehicle was burned, but, you know, there's often evidence that can still be gotten uh, despite this uh, tactic that uh, these gangsters use of setting these cars on fire after they've done the shooting. Interestingly, people I know, sources I have, uh, you know, who've had connections to gangs directly have said to me that this one looked so stupid because, you know, the guy's running all over the parking lot. He didn't seem to know where his getaway vehicle was. And then you could see when he finally did find it and jump in the back that there were three other people inside the vehicle. So that's apparently not very smart because those other people are now potential witnesses against him if they choose to uh, turn rather than face, you know, a first-degree murder charge themselves. So I do think charges will be laid in this one. Uh, it didn't look like a very sophisticated operation. Uh, and, you know, the Harb Dollywall murder at, uh, outside of Carderos in Cole Harbor on April 17th, there's already a charge in that, largely because someone in the Dollywall group chased the hitman. Uh, and stabbed him, and he's now facing a first-degree murder charge. So charges do get laid. It often takes a year or two before they're laid, uh, but I don't think that that in itself is a deterrent to these people.
All right, Kim, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Anytime, Timmy. Appreciate that. Kim Boland, crime reporter for the Vancouver Sun, bringing us up to date on this latest shooting in the Lower Mainland. It's just been a shocking number, it feels like, lately. And brazen, too, right? The way Kim was describing it. This time it was a man gunned down in a Delta parking lot. We're talking 5 o'clock, busy shopping center. And the victim, 29-year-old Bikram Deep Randawa, has been confirmed to be a provincial corrections officer not known to police. Investigators still working to determine a motive in this case, and likely, hopefully, there'll be an update today. This is Mornings with Simi. We heard about the Gustafson Brand Trust Index. This comes out every year, and they do research right across the country into how we feel about certain brands and companies in Canada. And now that we're a year into this global pandemic, so the survey has taken a look at the shift in consumer loyalty amongst Canadians and how we decide where and when we're going to spend our money, which companies we're going to spend our money with. So has that changed which brands we trust? Let's find out. Saul Klein joins us now, Dean of the Gustafson School of Business. Saul, thanks for being back with us this morning. It's my pleasure to be here again. So what did you notice was different this year versus a year ago? Yeah, so we're particularly focused on how consumers responded to the pandemic. And we did actually an interesting additional survey earlier in the pandemic. And what we were really interested in now was looking at, did those early results hold true or what changed over time? In some ways, it was a matter of seeing, did those brands that seem to have an early impact, either positive or negative, did those things sustain or did they change as people got more used to what was going on and whether the brands were able to maintain the kind of activity that had given the change. So what did we find? Did that change? Uh, Very mixed. So we saw some brands that saw a very strong increase early in the pandemic, and they were perceived as being very responsible. I mean, a great example would be Air Canada. So early in the pandemic, trust in Air Canada went up quite sharply. There was a sense that they were protecting their customers through... Uh, blocking middle seats, making the, the the boarding experience more efficient, cleaning all of that, as well as taking care of their of their employees. What we saw though was over the course of the year that trust evaporated rapidly, and those things that they'd done early that gave them a boost um, they weren't able to sustain. So we saw them laying off uh, workers. We saw them refusing to refund customers for. Uh, for cancelled flights um, in cash rather as opposed to just uh, giving them vouchers and we saw them really trying to encourage people to travel at a time when all of the public health messages were don't travel so for us that was a, a real marker because during the pandemic one of the bigger elements we saw was the expectation that customers had from businesses they dealt with to be more responsible They saw, you know, we're in a crisis. We expect the brands that we're purchasing to act more responsibly. Right. So did that negatively impact other brands that were doing well perhaps before the pandemic? Uh, Yeah, we also saw some brands that we were surprised. We thought that they would actually do very well during the pandemic in terms of trust because their businesses boomed. A good one would be Amazon. And while people are using Amazon more than ever before, 
we're seeing that trust in Amazon has actually been declining fairly consistently over the last couple of years. And again, we think it's all about those broader values. And you know, during the pandemic, there were concerns about how Amazon was treating their workers. Early on, there were concerns about price gouging with um, items that were in short supply, often from third-party vendors on Amazon, shot up in price dramatically. Now, Amazon has tried to control that and put a bit more discipline. But to the extent that those things happened, it creates that impression that the company is not acting in the broader societal interest, and they're acting in the very narrow self-interest, which is something, again, during the pandemic, that consumers are looking for different behavior. Right. So even though before, you know, consumers may have trusted Amazon, Whole Foods, Air Canada, I thought it was interesting Tesla was on that list too. Mm-hmm. They all dropped in rankings. Yep. Um, not just in rankings. I mean, there would, could be a drop in rankings because each year we're increasing the number of brands that we're looking at. And this year we're up to almost 400 national brands. But they dropped in the scores as well. So there's something going on that's not just the fact that there's more competition in the rankings but that the particular elements where they were seen as very attractive and over the past year that's fallen. So which ones went up then? Who benefited over the last year? Interesting one was telcos. So analogous to Amazon in some sense, you know, we've become much more dependent on our telecommunication providers as, as we've been working from home as social um, interaction has been limited. But we saw the telcos really improve their trust levels. Um, and TELUS in particular increased more, more than the others. And we think that's both a function of you know, perceived reliability of their networks, but also a sense that they were acting to try make life easier for the rest of us. So it's such a sensitive thing, though, isn't it, Saul? About, I mean, how, can a company really manage this, or is this something that happens organically? Oh, no, we think it's very much something that can be managed. With It's, it's really about a, a conscious effort to think about what is the bigger impact on consumers and on society of the, of the changes we're making. Are we acting in a way that's driving our short-term return, or is it something that is seen to be in the better interests of consumers more broadly? And we also saw some brands that saw a drop initially, but then were able to recover. So initially, we saw some companies almost try to deny the effect of the pandemic and say, it's not a big deal, just you know, keep shopping with us. But then over time, they became more responsible, they put in better processes, they became to be seen to be acting more in the interests of consumers, and their trust came up over the year. I mean, Cineplex was a good example of that. Hmm. How did grocery stores do here? Because they mm. obviously were on the front lines. People yep. had to be reassured that they were doing well. How did that work? Um, in some ways, they had similar patterns to, to Air Canada and some of the airlines. Um, they got a lot of uh, a boost in trust early in the pandemic when we became more dependent on grocery stores, obviously, but also more respective of the essential workers who were working in those grocery stores to provide us with uh, our daily sustenance. Um, the grocery stores initially responded very positively. Many of them introduced um, uh, danger or hardship pay, an extra couple of dollars an hour for their workers, and they were doing a lot more volume. But most of them didn't keep those... uh, those wage increases. They were temporary and then they pulled them back. 
And I think that was resented. In contrast to somebody like Costco, also you know, similar industry, um, they put increases in it and they maintain them. So we saw Costco's trust scores remain very high, right. while some of the other grocery stores had an initial boost, but then it slipped back by the end of the year. So then at the top of the list then, Saul, who are the brands or what are the brands that Canadians trust the most this year? Yeah, for the, the second year in, in a row, the most trusted brand is CAA or BCAA here. Um, and they've been in the top consistently. Um, number two came in this, or at number two this year was Dyson. And that's a new brand that we started looking, well, for us to look at last year. Um, and they've done very well. I mean, they're seen as very strong in both product attributes in, in terms of the service they provide their customers, as well as, you know, the broader value and contribution to society. Um, number three, we've got Lego. And I think we've seen a little bit of the uh, effect of staying at home where, mm-hmm. um, you know, brands that we're using more, that are comfortable, that are essentially meeting our needs in the stay-at-home environment have done well. What Um, is the number one most, well, not trusted brand, untrusted brand? Okay, so right at the bottom, most of the the strongly distrusted brands are social media. The only exception right at the bottom is Huawei. And Huawei, as we know, has been caught up in a whole set of political issues and disputes between Canada and, and China. And certainly the, right. um, the whole dispute about the um, detention of the senior Huawei executive in Vancouver, as well as the detention of two Canadians in China, certainly, I think, carries right. over into perception on that, of the brand. So interesting. Saul, thanks for talking to us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you. Saul Klein, Dean of the Gustafson School of Business, talking about their Gustafson Brand Trust Index. They do this every year, talk about the companies that have gained your trust, the reasons why you spend your money with certain companies, and then the companies that you do not want to spend your money with at all. It's being released today. You'll hear more about it.